So I guess there's no doubt that tonight is Halloween. (laughs) And I know that some of you may be from Europe and kind of going, what is going on here? (laughs) We have many friends in the Dharma Hall. Um, Halloween is a celebration that has kind of wild roots, and it draws from a number of different places, of which I don't want to go into uh, a long history of. But it it stems from um, the eve before Old Souls Day. Uh, um, And this is a, a way of honoring the dead. And it somehow has woven into a few different aspects of things from different countries and taken root in America as being this evening where um, pumpkins are carved, jack-o'-lanterns, and these are actually done as a way of um, offering protection, and that they're put out in people's windows and doors, and then children dress up in costumes, and some of them scary, and uh, you know all different forms of costumes, and go out to the streets with bags and collect a lot of goodies. Uh, it's something that you know. I remember as a child, it was a wonderful day of the year when you got to. Uh, I often made my own costume and then went out on the streets, and and it was just so much fun. And I think that that's why it's taken hold in this culture is that it, for many people there is an element of fun in it. And so tonight we sit with um, what to me these lanterns, when I heard that they were around protection. And I just want to share two things about these lanterns that I witnessed for these particular lanterns. And that was, uh, it was uh, I think on Friday night, the night, the day the storm was starting, the staff gathered in the staff dining room. And the energy they had when they carved these lanterns. And they carved these lanterns with you in mind. You know, it is an offering to you. And then tonight at uh, tea time, I drove up and I parked out by the garage. And the van was there and they were loading the lanterns up. And again, the energy. So I'm, I feel like you probably feel that energy when you look at these lanterns but to know that they have come from love and compassion and offer us protection on this evening. So sometimes I can feel cynical about Halloween, (laughs) but when I look at this, there's something in the spirit that is so beautiful. Actually, tonight's talk about is about fear. In case any of you got spooked. <laughs> that was really coincidence. <laughs> I didn't think, oh, they're going to be scared today. <laughs> no, I don't think we saw too many of the, the spooky ones wandering around the neighborhood here. <laughs> but anyhow, I also wanted to share a story that comes from my own life, of something that I did a year ago that I really think relates to what we're doing here. I went on a spiritual pilgrimage, and this was traveling to Nepal 
and journeying with one of my teachers, Mingyu Rinpoche, to the place of his birth. And this was a trip that there was almost 40 other people going on this trip. Um, we were hiking in eight days to his birthplace, and he hadn't been in there for many years. And it, when I read online about the trek, it did say it was a strenuous trek. So I did have some idea of what I was getting into. Actually, for me in my life, trekking has been uh, really important. Walking in the mountains, walking in nature, felt like it was my first teacher. And so to be able to do this accompanied by my teacher was just an incredible opportunity. And to me, a spiritual pilgrimage is when we feel some pull of the heart and we find ourselves willing to venture into the unknown. We leave behind our comforts, like the usual ways that we have of making ourselves feel at ease in the world. And we explore the world through sometimes quite different eyes, because the, the land that we venture into can be quite different. And I really see coming on retreat as the, the spiritual pilgrimage. And so when I went on my pilgrimage, there was things that I knew I was leaving behind, that you know, I was thinking about what I left behind, what you left behind, and there was a lot in common. You know, the TVs, the radios, um, hopefully the phones, you know, <laughs> that, that many things that we left behind. I was leaving behind hot showers. You didn't know you were leaving behind <laughs> hot showers. <laughs> I mean, you know, the unexpected happens. You know, we're, we're just out of our comfort zone. And so, you know, as I went, I had prepared as best I could, and yet still I found myself really physically challenged. And, you know, it was hard. Um, I actually had a role to play on this trek. I was, we were divided into two groups, and I was kind of carrying up the, the tail end of, the, um, of one group. And this was a really good job for me because I didn't want to tell anyone, but I couldn't go any faster. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was a good place for me to be. And I was uh, walking with people who were struggling sometimes. You know, <clears throat> they just found um, that they were at an edge. And so it was you know, being there for them in whatever way I could when they were at an edge. In the in-between, I'd go, yeah, okay, okay, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Coach myself on. Um, and then, you know, uh, the body did get in quite severe pain at times. I had really bad blisters. I had toenails that were floating. You know, they weren't firmly attached. So there was a fair bit of pain. And having walked a lot in my life, I, I knew that you just do it step by step. You just walk step by step, and that's all you can do. So it's very much a part of my practice. And then at one point, a woman got sick, and she had to drop back. She couldn't go on one day, and so it was my job to stay with her. So I let go of the people whom I'd been walking with, and my husband was in that group, so it was a letting go of him, uh, and stayed behind with her. And then the group that was behind us caught up. But you know, I felt like there was a letting go in there. And you know, it wasn't one that I had imagined I would be facing, but there it was. And so, 
you know, just the letting go there, working with whatever came up there, and then being in the second group. And there was, um, it was a, a total shifting. You know, I realized how comfortable I had become in the first group. And suddenly that was gone. And, you know, suddenly I didn't have a role in this group. They had two leaders already. I didn't have to do that. And uh, it was just, they had already bonded as a group, you know, that sense of coming into a group from the outside. And, you know, it was, again, just feelings of discomfort. And then when we got further up, I started to get really affected by the altitude. And one night I went to bed. And when I laid down to, to go to sleep, I couldn't breathe. You know, it was like, and every time I started to fall asleep, I'd wake up gasping for air. And so then it was really having to use my practice to just stay, to be aware, you know, to know that, that you know, if your throat's already contracting and you put intense fear on top of that, whew, forget it. You know, so it was really having to work really hard to just stay present, to stay as relaxed as I could, and just to keep breathing. And, you know, I really had to stay awake all night, breathing breath by breath. It was very, very intense. I had medication. Medication helped the next morning, you know. So it, it really started to kick in. And then I really got to enjoy some of the beauties of being on a spiritual pilgrimage. You know, I hiked up to a cave where Milarepa, who was a a great um, yogi who had spent many, many years in caves, was said to have meditated. And here we were, you know, we were eight days up, we were at 11,500 feet, and um, the conditions were harsh. It was so cold at night. I mean, so bitterly cold. As soon as the sun went down, it was just like, whoa. And these people lived there. You know, you're just seeing the harshness of their life, the level of survival that I'm sure that they often lived at. And, and then to realize that there was people in, who had you know, spent years in these caves meditating. You know, I was just so touched. And to sit there, And to think, you know, I'm sure at many times there could have been times where they felt like their life was in danger, nobody's around, or, you know, something really difficult, challenging is happening, and they just faced what was ever there. And, you know, it just really struck me. Um, And just a sense of bowing to all of these people who have come to sit face by face with their own hearts and minds. And to really come to find that which is of true refuge, that which is unshakable, that which is reliable. And in order to do this, we do move out of our comfort zone. We do move out of that sense of security that so often we try to cling to in our lives. It's a part of the journey that we make. And it is actually a useful function of fear that it helps us to do this. You know, when we experience fear, we begin to see the suffering of it. 
we begin to see the torment when we are identified with it. And it takes us on our journey. It really helps to motivate us at times. And I think it is really helpful and good to know that there has been people who have completely overcome the fear in their minds. I actually wanted to share a story um, from this teacher, Mingyur Rinpoche, because it was quite up in the air for me as I, I was on this journey, because this is the area he'd grown up in. And as a child, he had suffered from panic attacks, really severe panic attacks. And it, he said the weather could cause panic attacks. And being in that country, I could understand why. I mean, you know, there's avalanches, there's snowstorms, there's whiteouts, there's blizzards. I mean, certainly one could be fearful in that climate. But the, you know, he had encountered fear in many other ways. Being around people had caused a lot of fear. And he was born into this family with a very realized father, a great meditation master, Toko Urjan Rinpoche. And so his father had given him, you know, as a very small child, really good meditation instruction. And he had been sent off to a monastery at a very young age to get further teachings. And he entered into a three-year retreat when he was 12 or 13 years old. Uh, And then, you know, when he got into this retreat, this is where the fear came up in a full-blown way. He was a year into the retreat, and he saw how fearful he was. He would go into the the shrine hall, as it's called in the monastery, the shrine room, and, you know, a part of what they would do would be these practices where, you know, people are blowing on these big horns. I don't know if you've ever seen them. These, and then there'd be, you know, drums going, and, you know, and (laughs) fearful. You know, that's what was coming up for him. So, you know, at one point he couldn't even go into the hall and he sat in this room and then he, you know, had the thought, well, I'm a year into this, I've got two more years to go, am I going to spend my whole two years like this? And then he realized he just needed to apply the teachings that he'd been given. You know, he needed to apply the techniques, the methods that he knew from his teachers And so he did this, and he faced that fear. And then, you know, he said it it moved very strongly one night, and then it took a while for the residue to go, but that he no longer experiences those panic attacks. And I watch him move through his life, and he just, he walks so free and easy in his life. And it comes through applying the meditation techniques that we learn and that willingness to do so, a courageousness of heart to do so. As I speak about fear, I want to acknowledge there is such a huge spectrum of this. I'll get into more minutia about that. But, you know, sometimes when it's in its full-blown state, This is not easy, and I don't want to make light of it. 
But I do want to remind us that there is potential as we apply these techniques, as we honor our own process in this, that we can find freedom from fear. I also want to acknowledge that there is what's called a healthy fear, a fear that brings about a heedfulness in our lives. It can be as simple as crossing the street and there's a truck bearing down on you. You see it and you move out of the way. You move out of harm's way or something healthy and wise about this. It can come about when we start to see the price we pay for not being mindful and that there's a fear of not being mindful. But it's a healthy fear. It inspires us. It brings forth the energy to be mindful. It can guide us in our lives. It helps protect ourselves and it helps protect others. So there is a healthy form of fear to get out of harm's way. So to watch if in your mind you've had the idea that any form of fear is bad, shows weakness, is not good. There's ways that it's wisdom. There's ways that it leads to this heedfulness. And then any form of fear can also help to inspire us to look more deeply. Because fear can really come about when we see the insecurity of life and we keep looking for happiness outside of ourselves and we see it's not possible. And so fear arises. Fear arises because we have the desire to survive, to be whole, to be healthy. And so, you know, many times that some of the natural responses that we have are to protect and that might not be guided by wisdom, by clear seeing. You know, we see how deeply fear is instilled in us when we look at nature. One year I was sitting on retreat and I was sitting outside a lot. I was sitting in a grove on a big rock. You know, I said, I've already said I love to practice in nature and I love to practice feeling the elements. And so sitting out there, what was really interesting was that uh, many times animals wouldn't seem to know I was there until they were really close. And then suddenly they would see me. And their instant response was fear. It was just, you could, you could feel it. You know, I, I started to feel bad. Like, you know, I wanted to sit there and chant so they'd know I was there. You know, just seeing how much fear was being provoked. There was one animal that had no fear. And that was the skunk. <laughs> and I have to say, I saw the skunk and fear came up in me. <laughs> but, yeah, 
You know, it's it can be so, you know, so in the very way our cells are working. So just to know that, to know, and this goes, it goes so deep. It goes into our basic uneasiness of feeling separate due to our ego. You know, that just is, the fuel of that is fear. And so, you know, we can experience it from this just uneasiness where you're sitting here and you just, you don't, you don't have any sense of really being fearful but the mind doesn't really relax. You know, it's just that slight niggling. And then, of course, the full-blown can be terror, where we might freeze. You know, it's just like, ah, and we're completely overwhelmed. You know, fear itself is very unpleasant. You know, and there's a lot of anxiety, agitation in the mind. And it can be caused by an anticipation or awareness of danger. And so much of it is in the anticipation. This is the unhealthy fear, where we think or believe that something is going to happen. You know, if you really stop and look, start to look at fear, watch how much it is projected into the future. Something that will happen because of something. And, and, you know, it isn't based in reality. I'm sharing this talk as a person who has worked a lot with fear in their lives. Uh, I think I was one of those uh, young babies that, you know, just had some sense of fear from a very young age. And my first memories were very fear-based. And when I look back on those memories, I see how it confined me. And this is what fear does. It holds us in. You know, if we aren't willing to bump up or meet that fear, we will always be staying within the confines of the known, too afraid to step into the unknown. And so that is a way that that fear has that very debilitating energy when we identify with it, when we believe it. Um, And so fear... Just a few of the different ways. And, you know, I started to list out some of the different ways that, different levels of fear that we experience. And I just realized it is so vast. So I'm just hitting on a few. So the, the, a subtle feeling of disquietude where there's apprehension of some sort, that sense of not being able to let go or just feeling a little bit unsettled. Or there can be a dread or uneasiness when we have to face something that brings up fear. You know, could be dread of going to an interview, dread of going into the, the dining room, you know, dread of walking down a hallway and seeing other people. And it's not rational. I mean, if it is rational, it's probably a healthy fear. But these fears, you know, that they it's not something that you really reason yourself out of. And it's hard to figure out why they come. 
but they can come in, you know, just really little instances, and we start to get this uneasy feeling. Sometimes we might have fright, you know, and this is where there's uh, an, something unexpected happens. You can experience it in here when you're sitting, you're quiet, very peaceful, and somebody beside you coughs. And it's like, whoa, an electric current. You know, actually, last night during the night, because the power had been out, all the clocks had to be reset. And I'm in a place where it's a new clock. I reset it at the time. I went to sleep. And at midnight, the alarm went off. And it wasn't beside me. It was a you know, clock in another place. And it woke me up out of a deep sleep. And there was just this moment of, ah! <laughs> And, you know, it's such a strong energy. And then it was just like, whoa, okay, <laughs> you know, what do we do? You know, and then, it, you know, just step by step moving with it. But, you know, it, it's the unexpected that we weren't expecting. And it can just have an, a, an effect on the energy system. We can at times f- experience panic or frantic fear, where there's a strong moment of uncertainty. You know, and often in those moments, we just want to run. You know, we want to get away from. We, we move into hyperdrive with it. Or there can be a feeling of horror at times, where there's a combination of fear and aversion uh, towards something and a, a sense of repugnance. Or there might be trepidation where we really have uh, some kind of dread that's marked by hesitancy. You know, and that can be where we have to, again, do something, but we have trepidation about it. So as I say these, my guess is that each of us in some way can relate to some aspect of it. Because fear just touches our lives. That's That's what we encounter in this journey of awakening. And so, you know, then it's becoming familiar with the fear. Because if we don't, this fear goes underground. And then it runs us. And then this has really sad consequences. You know, whether it is not being able to do anything, to really retreat from life, you know, sometimes... It can be so strong that people get afraid to go out the door. We just can't meet our lives and in some way withdraw and recoil and deaden ourselves. So it's so important that we learn how we can face fear in our lives. It may be an, uh, a mind state that, as young children, we were taught that we shouldn't show, that we needed to put a brave face onto the world. I was once in New York City at the Rose Center. Uh, this is the Natural Science Museum. And on the top floor were, is, probably is, I haven't been there in years, but there was the planetarium, and they were showing this movie that took you into outer space. It was really quite something. I had the sense sitting there of just going through space. I mean, I, I completely loved it. And, you know, at one point, it was 
um, they even had the theater shaking. And there was this young girl sitting there with her parents. And she became terrified and was so afraid. And what her parents did was sat there and yelled at her, you are not afraid, you are not afraid. And, you know, it just gives us the message that this is not okay. It's painful. And so, you know, for many, some people have an armor of courageousness that covers over the fear. And, you know, sometimes we really have to look to see what's motivating us. We have to look deeper than the surface. So we need to become familiar with fear. We can see it in different ways. Sometimes we have a very strong fear of the future, that we won't have what we need, we won't know, need, no, we won't know how to act, what to do. And so a tendency can be to start to plan, to obsessively plan, to try to figure out what we will do, what we will say, how we will respond. And, whoa, leads to a lot of worry, anxiety, and we can't solve it. It's in the future. (laughs) We can't do it that way. So, you know, it's one of those ways that we really try to make ourselves secure that isn't going to bear fruits. No, it's going to perpetuate the fear, the anxiety. Many of us may have a strong fear of failure. I know, again, in my own life that this was very prevalent. I remember as a small child that the fear that I couldn't do something often kept me from trying. Either the fear of being ridiculed, the fear that I would look like I wasn't very good, I would look stupid, but it would stop me just because I was afraid I couldn't do it, afraid of failure. Many of us may have a fear of rejection, a fear that people won't like us. A fear can be with giving with gifts, that it will be rejected. I know, again, in my own life this was huge, afraid to give a gift because somebody might reject it. And so, you know, this is just something to pay attention to. Many of us may have fear of particular mind states. In our lives, if we have suffered from depression, we may fear getting depressed. We may fear sadness, grief. We may fear loss. We may um, fear the torment of the judging mind, mind states that we have suffered from in our lives and we haven't learned how to be with, so we become fearful of these states. We can have fear of our bodies, being in pain. And this is something we come face to face with in our meditation practice. No, just that sitting here and 
when there's a lot of really unpleasant body sensations, just look at the stories the mind might come up with at that time. No fear that pain in the belly, fear that this is cancer. You know, in in one moment of pain, pain in the knee, fearful that we won't be able to walk, fearful that we'll need surgery. Know that um, the fear of what an aging body is. It's really a place that many of us can see some aspect of fear. Fear of change. This is something, too, we begin to see in our meditation. You know, as the mind really starts to see the truth of impermanence. Is there a little ripple there? (laughs) (laughs) We heard about change. It's supposed to be a good thing. But, you know, if we don't yet have confidence in that the prospect of really finding this inner happiness, this inner peace. You know, if there's a bit of uncertainty there, then the scene of this change can be very unsettling. You know, I think we've mentioned this a number of times. But just to remember this, it's okay that the fear is there. We will just use that fear. In being here on retreat, often we will see the fear of stillness. Just watch in your practice. Things get a little bit quiet, even sometimes just a little bit. And then it's like, whoa, put something in that space, would you? (laughs) You know, it becomes too much. It becomes like, ooh, not sure about that. I, I see this in the world, Uh, And please don't take this as a judgment if this is your habit, but you might just investigate it a little bit. But often in this time, people will have a radio or a TV playing. And they don't even pay much attention to it. But, you know, whether it's the quiet, whether it's a fear of being alone, who knows? But it's a place worthy of investigation where we feel like we have to keep putting something in there. And it's just exploration, no judgment. Sometimes we can have fear of fear itself, where we become afraid of the fear afraid that the fear is going to arise. And this is actually quite painful. Uh, you know, I have certainly experienced this, which, you know, it's, it's just that sense of always being guarded, um, always having to be on guard so that there's no chance that the fear will arise. There can be the fear of annihilation. And this is something that we meet in practice. That, you know, we hear about impermanence. We hear about not-self. We hear about, you know, these things that are meant to be freeing. But we interpret them 
in ways where there's a sense of, well, if I let go, it'll just be a big void. You know, it'll be cold, it'll be heartless, it'll be empty, empty in a sense of dead. And I think, as has already been mentioned, that's not what true emptiness is. That, you know, that w- the mind just does this interpretation. And really, if we can see that in these moments where, you know, we might have a sense of fear of annihilation, we can see it's just a thought. It is so freeing. You know, it's just a concept, a belief, an idea in the mind that has no basis in reality. And all we have to do is see this is a thought, not pick it up, not believe it, and it doesn't have that power. It doesn't have a hold. It's really quite freeing. Just... um, in case this feeling of annihilation is something that you've ever touched into in your practice, I wanted to share some words from a 9th century Zen master, Juan Po. He says, People are afraid to forget their minds, fearing to fall through the void with nothing to stay their fall. They do not know that the void is not really void, but the realm of the Dharma. We have reassurance from so many enlightened beings that in truth we have nothing to fear. But this, for us to realize this, it is a process. So it's good to look at the idea we can hold in our minds that can be so damaging that if we were really courageous, we would have no fear. If we are really courageous, then we are not stopped by fear. There's a huge difference. Huge. And I'd like to share something from a woman whom I see as being so courageous. This comes from Aung San Suu Kyi. Um, Probably many of you have heard about her. She's a Burmese woman who has lived a lot of her life under house arrest. And during that time has faced so many challenges and represents to the Burmese people something of that courageousness of heart that is not stopped. That she herself, in her own life, through her times of living in house arrest, practiced a lot and really uh, has not been stopped by her own fear. She says, Fearlessness may be a gift, but perhaps more precious is the courage acquired through endeavor, courage that comes from cultivating the habit of refusing to let one's own fear dictate one's actions, courage that can only be described as grace under pressure. And she certainly embodies grace. And so this is what we learn to do. You know, when fear touches us, in whatever of the ways it does, we learn first to recognize it, to know it, 
to be able to see it. So that's where the naming of it can be helpful, to see that this is fear. Fear is here. It starts to establish that direct relationship with it, that mirror-like quality to be able to just know it. And if this is a deeply entrenched fear, a very strong fear in our lives, it may be that that's all we can do right now. It's just like you see it, you know it, and that's enough. Sometimes we can do more exploration. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that exploration and through that a little bit more about when it's really strong. In the beginning of the, the recognizing it, you can pay attention in the day here to where you experience fear. You know, whatever it might be. And just to know when we start to be touched in some way. And then that willingness to name it. And then with fear, what's really helpful is to start to see the components of it. What are we calling fear? What does it feel like in the body? You know, often when we experience fear in the body, there can be a lot of energy. There might be tightness, contraction in the heart. There might be um, coldness. You know, often we get really cold if the fear is really strong. So just being willing to explore the sensations in the body, and then being able to see the thoughts in the mind, to become familiar. Often there's repeated thoughts that come if we have particular habits that we get cranked into fear with. And learning to recognize those thoughts in the mind, because those thoughts really fuel feed, give gas to the fear. And that's where it becomes full-blown. So if we can recognize those thoughts when they appear, it doesn't, you know, it's not like suddenly it's huge, overwhelming fear. It's more workable. And that's really where we want to begin our exploration of fear, where it's workable. So if you have huge fear, you don't need to start there. You can start with the little fears that we get. You know, it might be just when you're sitting and you are able to sit comfortably for 45 minutes, an hour, and then you start to notice that you have a little bit of fear around physical pain. Maybe you sit just a little bit longer to see what happens. And you can get up at any time. You can know that. But you just do an exploration of the state of fear in a way that's not too strong. So exploring these little fears... when we explore the thoughts, that's the time where we might see if there's a concept in the mind, an idea, a belief, and just to see if we can know it as that. Just see it as the thinking mind. Noticing if what other mind states might be present. You know, so often I find doubt and fear are great partners in action, or worry and fear. You know, just to see what else is there. 
and see if there's anything that's feeding into this fear. Sometimes we might have a discovery that, you know, we're sitting and it becomes really pleasurable. And then suddenly we're anxious. And, you know, then we start to explore it. And we might see, well, actually there's a fear of loss. You know, so it's like just that willingness to look a little bit more. Not that you have to figure it out. We do this by staying in touch with the actual experience. So you really want to be with it in present moment. You want to watch that the the fear doesn't become overwhelming. You know, there's no need to take it to that degree. We want to let the mind stay stable. And so, you know, as we find that there is strong fear, it can be to touch into it for a moment, to experience it, and then to turn towards some aspect that is more neutral or even pleasant, so that the mind regains balance. And that will be different at different times. But we look to what will help the mindfulness to stabilize. I think I talked some about this last week, that you really want to work with stability of mindfulness and not being overwhelmed. So it's fine to be with whatever is fearful, and then you might become aware of the space in the room. Or if, you know, sometimes when we're in a state of fear, the breath gets really tight, contracted. It's, you know, that sense of gasping. It's too much to be with. It it instills more fear. We can go to something like the the touch points or the hand, you know, the hands touching or our seat on the contact with the earth. Um, For me, often, too, it was just the, the, the sense of the air coming in contact with the skin. You know, it had a much more neutral feeling. And just really letting the mind rest there, be there, finding that stability. And then maybe again we look at the fear. And then you'll be with that for a little bit and then go back, be more stable. So to explore the ways that help us to find balance when we get really anxious. You know, whether it's sometimes through doing metta practice can be really helpful. You know, that was a practice I think has been mentioned, was given to monks who were in an extreme state of fear. And so sometimes it just helps us to make a friend of our minds. It helps us to soften and accept that which seems so unacceptable. Sometimes walking meditation is really calming. And, you know, I found in strong states of fear, just to feel the contact with the earth, step by step. You know, not trying to do anything fancy, be really microscopic, just that easeful connection where the mind can rest, be at ease. Sometimes it's helpful if the fear is getting strong, just to remember, this too is impermanent. This too is subject to change. 
Because what happens is we start to solidify it, make it more permanent. We create images of self that are fearful, filled with fear. And it's all impermanent. No, and as we start to breathe air into this fear, we, we really begin to see. You know, so we can mo- notice that there's times where the fear is strong, times where it's not so strong. We can see that you know, it isn't as solid and real as the thoughts, the ideas, make it out to be. And for me, it has been helpful at times when I have found myself really entrenched in fear to remember the awakened ones, to remember all those enlightened beings who have been able to face this fear, to to make a friend of this fear, and to find a safe or a place of refuge. So within this journey to really honor our own process, to become acquainted with when we have strong energy, there may be times when we really have the capacity to face the fear headlong. But it's when there's a momentum of mindfulness when there's a lot of energy and we just have that willingness to face it. This is wonderful. And at times, the wisdom is the mindfulness is not that strong, it's not that stable. The wisdom is to help stabilize the mind. And so that's when we turn elsewhere. And that's not failure. That's not weakness. That's wisdom. So live honoring our own process. Honoring what's arising in our experience. Out of this, we really come to trust the power of awareness, the refuge that awareness is. It gives us confidence And so that's where if we begin with little fears, this will help us to to shine the torch of awareness on the darkest corners of our lives. Step by step. We don't need to rush. We don't need to be in a hurry. This whole journey is one where we develop patience. You know, patience is said to be the road to nibbana or the enlightened mind. You know, and so we become patient with our own process, kind with our own process, and really honoring this process. When we're faced with strong fear, we can remember that we only need to open to it for one moment. And this is kind of interesting because this is where we can see how the idea of time gives weight to an experience. No, so, so in a moment when fear is present, to just see, can I be with it for one moment? And then maybe out of that, 
you can be with it for the next moment. But don't put the pressure on yourself to be with this until fear is gone. It's too heavy. It's too weighty. Just this one moment. Can we open to it? Letting it be an exploration, a learning. It takes us right into what it is to be a human being and how we can find peace, ease, and joy in this process. I'd like to share a couple of um, teachings that reflect something of this. My, this is from Milarepa, who was this um, great yogi who sat in caves for many, many years. And, uh, you know, he, he just he realized the end of suffering. He says, My fear and doubts have vanished like mist into the distance, never to disturb me again. I will die content and free from regrets. This is the fruit of the Dharma practice. This is the fruit of the Dharma practice. The fruit of the work that we're doing here. This can guide us through our lives, through the facing of fear. It can guide us in death. The facing of... The more we can face fear in our lives, the less fearful we will be in our death. And then we can die as Milarepa has. My fear and doubts have vanished like mist into the distance, never to disturb me again. I will die content and free from regrets. This is the fruit of Dharma practice. And then, this is from the Buddha. For one who is awake, non-perplexed, whose mind is uncontaminated, and who has abandoned both good deeds and bad, fear does not exist. This is our journey. One last. (laughs) I just came across these things that really touched me. Um, And in touching in myself the courage to face the fear. And so this is from Toko Urjan Rinpoche. This is Mingir Rinpoche's father. The difference between Buddhas and sentient beings is like the difference between the narrowness and the openness of space. Sentient beings like the space are like the space held within a tightly closed fist 
while the Buddhas are fully opened and all-encompassing. So may our fists open. May our hearts open. Embracing this fear and finding the freedom from fear. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings find freedom from fear. And may all of the jack-o'-lanterns help us to do so. (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.